You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode. Uh, This weekend is a three-day holiday weekend here in the UK, uh, which means most of the uh, UK uh, likely co-hosts have done a bunk. So (laughs) (laughs) they've gone off to do, you know, holiday weekend things, I believe. Um, However, I am joined, as you can hear, by Guy Searle from the MyMac Show. Hello, Guy. Hello, it's so nice to know I'm your third or fourth choice. No, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Third or fourth, as high as that? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, I may be exaggerating just a little bit. (laughs) Well, it sounds so much better than, so much better than, oh my God, I have to record with Guy. Jesus. (laughs) Well, no, thank you for coming on. You're very welcome. Making sure that the listeners don't have to just listen yeah. to me. <laughs> it's only taken us an hour to get to this point. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> yes, much of which will never be heard. But yeah, um, I know we do that on our show too. It's I like, might, oh, uh, this is such great stuff, but we just can't put it on the show. Oh, damn. Well, never mind. I might salvage some uh, out of that and uh, see if we can make an after show, but we'll see what happens. Uh, so, Guy, what's been yeah. happening with you this week then? Uh, well, um, long-time listeners of my Mac podcast will not be surprised to know that I've changed the way I've recorded the show again. <laughs> uh, I'm basically recording directly into Audio Hijack and then moving my audio around thusly. I uh, did it for the first time yesterday. I, uh, Gaz is currently actually on a walkabout. He is, you know, off doing 30 to 40 miles a day and, and God bless him because I would not have the stamina to do that myself. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, I had Carl on and we had, we had a great time. It's, uh, it's going to be, it's not out yet. My Mac podcast, 752, the greening of tech, uh, which was actually one of the things that you and I were kind of talking about before we started to record yeah, as we, we set the whole world to rights um it's like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. it's like the everlasting light bulb it will never see the light of day <laughs> well the scary thing is you know every once in a while i'll go on this this rant about these kinds of topics and it's like why won't the world just do what i want them to do and then i think about that <laughs> and it's like okay okay you know i i look at myself in the mirror when I shave, it's like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to follow what you want them to do all of the time. That's, <laughs> that's just crazy talk. <laughs> I don't know. Shall I, shall I be dangerously political and say a lot of people were apparently foreigning, a, you know, an orange pumpkin, but there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> but who was that? I don't know. <laughs> he ran in, shouted in the mic and ran off again. And then ran off again. <laughs> Yeah, bigger kids did it and run away. 
Oh dear. Well, uh, there you go. I've been um, playing around with uh, various bits and pieces this week, uh, experimenting a little. Nothing that's come to very much, um, but we'll possibly talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so, what shall we say? It's been a funny old week, really. Not a huge yeah. amount of news, the truth be told. Um, well, not a lot of news that we particularly want to discuss. There's quite a lot of rubbishy rumours, which we yeah. don't want to get into. Yeah. Um, well, there's no reason why we can't talk about some of it and then make fun of the people that wrote it. That is true. That is true. We probably will. Um, Apple's Aperture uh, is going to shutter for good when Mac OS Mojave uh, gets sundowned. Are we surprised by this? No, not really. I no. mean, they they moved to Photos and stopped updating the Aperture, what was it, two Mac OS versions ago, maybe longer. Yeah. So the fact that they were still kind of supporting Aperture after, you know, all this time, I guess you could say, you know, yay, Apple. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that are like, I really, really liked Aperture. Why are you taking it away? Um. I don't really understand Apple's philosophy when it comes to prosumer software, which is what they kind of call photos as compared to Aperture. Um, it kind of makes me look at something like uh, Final Cut Pro versus iMovie and go, well, if you were going to go to this extreme for photography, why didn't you do the same thing with video? Mm. And, you know, so far, so far, um, Final Cut Pro is continuing, and hopefully, it it will continue. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Aperture was weird, wasn't it? Because honestly, I never used it. No. Well, you I know, I I don't take that many pictures. No. I, I, as I've said on this show before, I'm the only man who could go on holiday with you know four digital cameras and come back with four photographs after a yeah fortnight. one on each camera. Yeah, after a fortnight. Yeah. But um, <laughs> and the weird thing was, it's all of the same thing. How odd is that? Yeah. Um, Aperture. I I had a look at it when it came out. Um, obviously it was pitched very much at sort of semi pros to pros. Sure. Um, right. The people who switched to it seemed to become very much enamoured of it. Um, I think it was pitched very much against Lightroom rather than Photoshop per se. Um, I just don't. I I don't think it got the traction. I think that's the point. Now, you know, the photo editing slash managing software is a very, very crowded market. It is. And on the pro side, you pretty much everybody's on Photoshop. You've got Photoshop. You've got Lightroom. Um, there's a few, you know, much smaller, but, uh, you know, often quite pricey and very, uh, you know, professionally yeah. focused packages. Um, Do you know what I use? For, for nearly everything like this, and it it's so not pro software, uh, is Acorn. And I can't remember the name of the company that makes that it. Flying I'm Meat. Have to look that up. Flying yeah. Meat. That, by Flying Meat. So, like, I, I sent you the um, the image yep. of the next podcast for 752. I make all of my cover art in Acorn because it, it's got just the tools I want in, in a very easy format to use. I am aware of acorn i have to say i've never really i've never used it i don't think i've i think i might have downloaded a demo when like version one came out yeah maybe um but you know the, the whole thing with acorn is you know is someone who is a professional photographer or some even someone who considers themselves to be 
uh, a semi-professional photographer would look at Acorn and probably go, I don't want that. It doesn't do, you know, bezel curves around the sun or, you know, whatever it is that they want to do. But it does everything that I need to do with photos on a non-professional level. I think that this is something that we've talked about. I mean, when we had, um, you know, when we had Pixelmator on the show, when we've had... um, Another good bit of software. But again, things like, um, uh, like, you know, stuff from Corel and Adobe and Pixelmator and so many of these others, uh, photo manipulation software packages have all of the tools that a professional would need. And uh, a lot of those tools for just the, you know, the average Joe on the street is like, I, I don't even know what this does. Oh yeah, exactly. So they take, they take a, a, a semi, semi okay photograph. And by the time they're done with it, it looks like total crap because they don't, they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> well, they don't know how like, all yeah. the tools work. Uh, there's all these sliders. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, with great power comes the great ability to screw things up mightily. Exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> which is where, of course, um, you know, Luminar, um, and uh, Photo Lima come in. You know, they are pitched at, a com- although, you know, a lot of professionals are using Luminar. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and also, obviously, um, Adobe Elements. You know, those are pitched. Yeah, I use, I use uh, Premiere Elements, actually, for a lot of my video stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's fine. You know, I, I've got the keyframes that I need to do some of the stuff that, you know, the effects and stuff that I want to do. Um, does it do, like, all of the cool stuff? that the regular Adobe Premiere or Final Cut Pro 10 would do? No, but I don't need all that stuff. Well, that's one of those, it's one of those things, Guy, and you come across this time and time again. And obviously I work with Photoshop, you know, professionally, um, mostly just for pre-press. So that's only usually tweaking and a bit of photo retouching, not, you know, nothing super high end. But there are tools that I rely on. And from a professional point of view, if they're not in um, a mid-level package, then obviously that mid-level package is no good to me professionally. However, I um, always try to be acutely aware of the fact, you know, I look at the 90% rule. It does this software do, you know, 95% of what 90% of the population want to do. If it does, that means it's got a winner that you've got a winner. And, um, I mean, I've, uh, for home use, I've, um, I'm going to switch over to affinity photo, um, because a, I don't wish to pay Adobe for, for my personal use and, um, my, my access to, uh, my creative cloud account through work, uh, is now more difficult because we're using all the licenses. Whereas before I had it, there was a, a slot on the license was free, which meant I could use it at home. Um, now it's not. So there you go. Um, we've, we've allocated it within the company, which is fair enough. They're paying for it. You know? Sure. <laughs> having, having access to it at home was merely a bonus. Um, so for my personal use, I'm changing over to Affinity Photo. Now, Affinity Photo is very much, uh, although it only costs £50, uh, or maybe it's, maybe it's $50, I can't remember. Um, well, regardless, it's not a subscription service. It's not a subscription service. But that is very much pitched to go up against Photoshop head to head, you know, one one for one. Um, you look at something like Pixelmator or um, Acorn or, or one of those others, 
they are they do not claim to go against Photoshop head to head. In fact, very often, you know, their selling point is not the complexity of Photoshop. Right. Um, in, and in fact, very much, you know, Adobe's own pitch for uh, Photoshop elements is the same. You know, all the bits you need and none of the complicated uh, professional parts you don't understand. Right. There you go. Um. So anyway, we've drifted off the point slightly. Aperture. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, never mind. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, Aperture. At this, at this rate, with all of these topics, we'll be here until tomorrow. Oh, well, that's all right. And we, we, yeah. I, I don't know when I have to record anything for about three weeks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I just slice it up into bits. Um, Aperture was very much pitched as a you know a high level professional application. I just don't think it got the traction, and I think Apple just went you know is it worth putting all this effort in for something that's holding 1% of the market? I think that's what happened to that. Whereas you see, whereas Final Cut Pro, um, obviously there are high-end packages and, you know, and higher-end packages even than that out there. But I think Final Cut Pro holds a fairly reasonable slice of the pro video market. Yeah, I've, um, I've, I've never... Or I have yet to take the plunge on Final Cut. And the thing that makes, and I really should, because since Final Cut 10 came out, I have bought like four versions of Adobe Premiere Elements at about $100 a pop. <laughs> so it's like, well, wait a second. Let me think about this for a second. Four <laughs> times 100 is 400 and Final Cut Pro 10 is 300. Hmm. 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 Yeah. There we go. So maybe the um, uh, once I once I get all my my various other vacation and and Mac stock bills paid for, I'll, I may actually take the jump. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. So Aperture is going away. Um, of course, mostly um, it, it's not so much that Apple are you know directly killing it. Um, it's simply that it contains thirty two bit software. Yeah. I'm not sure that it's purely 32-bit, but, you know, they've been clear for, what, the last three or four versions of the Mac OS that after Mojave, it was going to be 64-bit only. And yeah. A lot of people predicted that Mojave would be 64-bit only, but um, I know, I remember, um, I think it was Craig Federighi coming on and saying, Mojave is basically 90%, you know, well, Mojave is 64-bit, but we are not yet pulling 32-bit support. but Everything. If you launch anything that contains 32-bit code, you get a warning on Mojave, don't you? This this application yeah, is not may not work not, in future versions. Well, it's not may not work in future versions. It bloody well won't. Yeah. <laughs> end of end of story. So that's that's what's happening to uh, Aperture. Um, and then uh, where was it? There's a uh, a rumor here about various other things that might get the chop. Um, QuickTime Seven, Carbon Ink. Hardware RAID support, uh, all predicted to be gone in Mac OS 10.15. This is Apple Insider. Um, and it's like, and? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, carbon? Sorry, when did they stop supporting carbon? Carbon? Five years ago, at least. They killed carbon. Yeah, I mean, this, this isn't, this isn't a, a, it shouldn't be anyway, a huge surprise. No. I mean, it's <laughs> for four or five years they've been saying 64-bit is coming and they went from, look, this stuff is 64-bit, you should choose this over 32-bit, to you should only use 32-bit stuff if you've got no, no other option, to if you're using 32-bit stuff, it's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so don't use that anymore. 
get you know get your developers to uh you know update their apps and if they don't start looking for an alternative um what else oh well i said it was a funny old week um apparently an airpod survived a trip through the man who swallowed it this was on cult of man <laughs> and it's been all over it's been i i have to say um this was you know, <sighs> Good, good on the, uh, good on the hardware team. You know, an iPod can survive being swallowed and, um, you know, making it out of the other end. Um, what I'm not so sure about is how did he manage to swallow it? What on earth was he doing to swallow an earpod whole? And uh, well, second, I, I still think that he should have gotten on a bus blasting Black Sabbath. <laughs> Just see if anybody can have everybody looking around, going, "Where's that coming from?" Hmm. Yeah. Um, so if somebody told him to blow it out of his ass, he's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) And my other thought was, um, I know they're quite pricey, but I'm not sure I'd be that desperate to try and recover it. And I'd probably just buy another (laughs) one. $149. I'll just get a new pair. Thanks. Well, you only need to buy one. Why do you buy one for $80? Isn't it? Buy a replacement. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that works because they're, they're, I thought they were like matched. Is there a way to, to match uh, dissimilar ones? Well, I, I know you can buy you can buy a replacement single one. So if you know if you drop one down a grate or your dog chews it to smithereens yeah, or something, or a Chinese man eats it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you're not prepared to recover it. Um, yes, you can. You can buy. Um, I'm sure one of the other guys told me that they're about eighty dollars to buy one okay. replacement. Um, and then I guess that you take it in and they pair them together somehow, or they magically do it when you put them back in the box together. I don't know. There we are. Um, so that was a, yeah, uh, I didn't go into too much depth about how he swallowed it or <laughs> why, you know, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Yeah. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. And somehow it ended up with, with like a horse that ate an iPod or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, apparently neither he nor the iPod died. There we go. <laughs> AirPod. Yeah, also good news. Good news all the way around. Good, good news for everybody. Um, Right, get ready, everybody. Get ready, because this one's going to set guy off. Is yeah, this, it did. It did. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, the headline warning, warning. I need, I need one of um, like uh, Carl's. You know, yeah. Well, Carl's, Carl's got one, and he fanboy alert. I think probably I need this one, <laughs> which is clickbait alert, clickbait yeah. alert. Um. According to Forbes, Apple <sighs> accidentally reveals radical new iPhone. Uh, ignore the headline. That's total clickbait. Um, yeah. The story is actually Apple have registered a patent for turning the whole glass uh, front screen of an iDevice into a kind of ultrasonic fingerprint reader. Now, Right. So kind of to bring back like something like Touch ID. Yes. Yes, um, which some people have said from, you know, uh, people have said that Apple wanted to put Touch ID under the screen, uh, either as well as Face ID, or that they couldn't make it work, and so they changed to Face ID. Apple, yeah. uh, Johnny, Ive, and co. Uh, have all said that they opted to go to Face ID and to drop touch id quite early in the development process of face id but that's there's plenty of reasons i guess why it wouldn't hurt to have both yeah like two-factor yeah biometric uh, authentication yeah face and 
thumbprint, you know? Um, So if, if somebody held up the phone to like, let's say you get pulled over and for whatever reason, the the police think that you're a bank robber and they want to see what's on your phone. Well, with face ID, assuming that you don't start making faces at the phone, you know, they can just hold it up to your face and, and open it. But if it has two factor where you also have to use one of your fingers to open it, mm. um, then it's just another layer of protection. Yeah. So um, now Apple wouldn't be the first people to do this. A couple of other um, companies, I think, have, have either shipped or certainly experimented with under the glass ultrasonic fingerprint readers. Yeah. Samsung had one. Did they? Right. I mean, yeah. That wouldn't be. Surprising. I don't think it. I don't think it worked that well. Well, there we go. That's yeah, it worked almost as well as the folding phone. Yeah. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> or their equivalent of Face ID, which you can fool with a photograph, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm told. Allegedly. Allegedly, people. Make sure you put that in there. <laughs> allegedly. Well, I don't know because I've not tried it. I don't have a Samsung phone to test it with. So I, I have. Well, I, have I know. I, I printed out a picture of Charlie Brown and held that up to a Samsung phone and it, it worked, you know. So I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Um, the point the point is with no actual touch ID, you know, target. Obviously, with the with the iPhones and uh, the iPads, you know, you had an actual target, didn't you? You had a home button with a ring on it to put your yeah. thumb finger on. Um, so the the problem with an under glass reader is getting people to know exactly where it is. Now, I'm I'm sure you could display something on screen, probably to say, put your finger here. But, however, um, apparently Apple wished to probably make the whole panel uh, able to read so that you could put your finger or thumb or nose or ear (laughs) or other body part of your choice on the screen to verify. Um, And that is, of course, just a patent. So we all know what uh, Apple say about that. Um, There we are. So it's not Apple accidentally revealing anything radical at all. Thank you. Oh, and what was your favorite uh, swear part? <laughs> oh, bit... I have so many. Yes. Uh, the, the bit at the end, wasn't it? You said something about the about them saying, and this is going to, you know, won't be appearing on this year's ugly iPhone 19 or 20 or whatever. It was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot about it. Yeah, they, were, they had, <sighs> yeah, you, you had to stir me up. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's just... <laughs> They're basically Forbes in this article is already talking about it says, well, the, the 2019 iPhone is so ugly that this will be a vast improvement. It's like, you have no clue what the 2019 iPhone is going to look at other than some, some renderings that have been thrown out online by case makers. You don't have a clue Forbes. So don't talk about how ugly the 2019 phone is. If you don't really know what it looks like. Well, the, the other thing, <laughs> there is that, yes, and this is this is a patent. There's no way it's going to be in a shipping phone, is it? If it's if it's uh, a- well, see, but th- see, there's the thing, and you can't yeah, because of how, at least here in the U.S., how patents work. You can't release something and then try to patent it because you know anything, especially a company like Apple, anything that Apple does, if they don't have it patented for years before whatever the device is comes out there, there will be someone who will come out and say, Oh, I had this patent in, exactly. in 1837 that, that said, you know, uh, electronic phones will be able to feed chickens or, you know, wh- whatever it is that, that, you know, they, that, yeah. that they're talking about, 
you know, the, they'll figure out some way to take a, a extremely vague patent and make it apply to a particular thing uh, in East Texas, which is seems to be everyone's favorite place to sue them. And uh, get some money out of them, which coincidentally, I don't know if you heard about this. Apple is closing a lot of their East Texas stores. Yes, I did. They did because um, now you I can't sue them if the store, if they don't have a presence. Yeah. You can't right. sue them in East Texas unless they have a presence. So they are closing. I know I, this was a story. I don't know. A few shows back, they said that yeah. they're going to shut down their store in East Texas. So that um, they will no longer be able to be sued there. Yeah, it's an interesting, so interesting, and slightly weird, you know, American way of doing things. But there you go. Yeah. Uh, there we are. Um, there's another one here from Forbes, but uh, again, dreadful. Hang on, hang on, wait for it. <laughs> Clickbait alert. Uh, <laughs> um. According to this, it says Apple warns iPhone users not to answer Apple support calls. What do we say about that headline? It's crap. It's utter, utter crap. What it actually yeah. is, is Apple support will not phone you unless you have scheduled a call yourself. In other words, yes. anybody claiming to be Apple support who cold calls you is a scammer. Yeah, or it's certainly not associated with Apple. Indeed. So yeah, what that and really so for say, Forbes headline to to not address that or not have something in there. Yeah, and all they really had to do was Apple warns iPhone users not to answer fake Apple know, fake fake Apple support calls. Yeah, and then and that was all they had to do. But no, they have to make it sound like well, Apple support is going to call you, and you're not going to be happy because they're going to scam you, and then blame Apple yeah. or something along those lines. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so there we go. Another thumbs down for Forbes, but uh, it's the same old story, isn't it? It's the ones, the same as the ones. Hello, I'm from Microsoft, and I have detected that yeah. your computer is being as a virus. As well, the the best one I've had, uh, the best one I've had, guy, is I had this uh, bloke, and he said, "Hello, I'm from Microsoft Support, and we have detected that your computer is being um, compromised from Mountain View, California." I said, "Oh, really? Really?" Oh, no. Google are trying to hack me. <laughs> Why would they want to do such a thing? And then he's like, oh, let me do this, that, and the other to your Windows computer. And I said, right, let me stop you right there. One, I am an InfoSec security professional. And, uh, you know, I do this. And I do. It was all, all lies. I told him that I was, uh, you know, <laughs> I worked for the police right. tracking down phone scammers. And, uh, and uh, unsurprisingly, he slammed the phone down awfully quickly. Huh. Well, before you, he slammed it down before you could get to the third point, which was to tell him to piss off. Exactly. <laughs> before I got to uh, rudely tell him to finish the call, he did it for me. There we are. Yeah. Well, um, that that was a considerate scammer. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, and of course, he was not from Microsoft. He was telling what? a porky pie. Oh, my God. Oh. I cannot believe that somebody would lie on the telephone. Exactly. And Google were not trying to infiltrate my computer from... Well, <laughs> that part of it may have been true. Well, not di not directly. They, <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> no, sure I mean, that... it's nothing personal. You know, it's just <laughs> they do that to everybody. Yeah, right. Um, and what what is it with this? What is it this week? Look, it's another, another one. Hang on, I'm going to have a different one for this one. Ha <laughs> ha! 
Oh dear. Okay. Uh, this is uh, this is on Redmond Pie. Uh, this is not Redmond Pie particularly. Uh, this is Redmond Pie report that iPhone battery life may be much lower than Apple claims, um, and they are actually quoting uh, Which UK, um, where Which UK are saying that uh, Apple's uh, iPhone battery life may be as little as 20% of what Apple claim. Um, and they particularly point the finger at the iPhone XR. Um, and I have to say, I have an iPhone XR and it has the most fabulous battery life of any phone I have ever owned, barring one of those dumb phones that you charged and lasted a week. Um, well, do they actually say what it was or how they tested it? Or is it, I is don't this, know. Like, I well, didn't... we found that it's not good. Well, how did you do that? I we don't... can't tell you. It's yeah. not good. I did not bother to follow through. I'm afraid, um, yeah, which, uh, which UK, uh, once a hot, very highly respected, um, you know, organization here in the UK, a bit like, uh, what's it, uh, what do you have in the, uh, in the US similar to that something? Oh, Consumer you're Reports. talking about, yeah. Um, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of late, um, which have several times sullied their copybook by, you know, reporting things without, uh, Let's say due care and attention. Apple are quite clear about how they test their devices, and you are quite welcome to go and look up. Um, and for example, they say, you know, if you're going to do the video playing online test on your MacBook, for example, they tell you what screen um, brightness you should use, what volume it should be on, etc., etc., etc. So I don't really care what Witch said unless they can verify that they matched it 100%. They can. I will take my own personal <laughs> experience of the iPhone XR battery life over what Witch tell me. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, tell you what, Guy, I don't know about you, I fancy a fresh cup of tea. So mm. why don't we take five while Nemo tells us about the MyCharge Hub Max battery charger? Uh, take it away, John. Nemo's hardware store has a product that every listener to this show and almost everybody in the Apple universe can benefit from. The company is MyCharge, M-Y-C-H-A-R-G-E, MyCharge. Product is called the Hub Max, H-U-B-M-A-X, Hub Max Universal Portable Charger. It's 10,000 mAh, so it will charge up an iPad all the way from dead to full. It'll charge up your iPhone three, four, five times, depending on the capacity of your phone. You plug it into the wall, North American AC outlet, and if you're out of the U.S., you can get a converter, and then you charge this baby up. It takes a long time to charge up, but it has the plug charger right in the unit. And then when it's all charged, you've got four lights on the side. You can press this little indicator to see how many increments of battery power. And then built into the battery is a lightning cable with a tip and a USB-C cable with a tip. You can see where I'm going with this. USB-C is the future. Lightning is the present. So when you get your new iPad or the new phones that will eventually have USB-C, your charger can handle everything. There is not much you need to know about it except put this on your wish list. It also has a standard USB port so you can charge anything in the world, whether it's a camera, speakers, headphones, anything at all that uses USB into that. 
It also has pass-through charging, so you can charge things up while you are charging the Hub Max. Go to the website. We'll have that in our show notes for this episode of Essential Apple. I really, really like this unit. I've been a big fan of my charge for a long time. I've reviewed a ton of their products. They're consistently excellent, and they are the market leader in the good quality chargers that have the plug right into it, fold it right out so that you can charge directly into the wall without needing an adapter or a cable to charge up the Hubmax Universal Portable Charger. Clever design, semi-polished silver with black accents, built to last, portable, good size and shape, no sharp edges. They've really done a nice job at my charge with the Hubmax Universal Portable Charger. Cost in the U.S. is $100. It is worth it. When your car gets stuck on the freeway, the expressway, the motorway, whatever you want to call it, this is what you need to wait for the motor club to come and rescue you, even if you've been using GPS or doing a lot of photography and your battery is down. This will be useful to you wherever you go. Camping, hiking, work, school, office, lab, out in the field, wherever you need it to be, it will provide Good power for you and a lot of power. If you're out in the elements, put it in a Ziploc bag, a couple of layers of that to protect it from getting wet. That's the only really concern you need to have. Back next week with more stuff at Nemo's Hardware Store. Uh, thank you for that, John. Uh, links as ever in the show notes. Um, and of course, that product, as far as I'm aware, is not available in the UK. Uh, because of its design. It's designed, obviously, for U.S. sockets, unfortunately. Well, after that, um, Adobe guy are apparently testing doubling the price of the Lightroom Photoshop plan. Uh, Shocker. This one's from The Verge. Um, of course, for a, they, they tried to soften the blow of uh, subscriptions, uh, particularly to uh, photographers. Many photographers say, you know, they'd, well, I'm only a hobbyist photographer, but I depend on Photoshop and Lightroom, and, you know, that's going to be outrageously expensive. So they marketed their Lightroom and Photoshop for photographers plan um, at, I think it was the equivalent of £10 slash $10 a month. Um, now, apparently, they are testing charging $20, which, by the way, is... Well, and uh, how do you test something like that? Well, I think do you say, okay, just... well, all of these people over here, they're, they're still going to pay $10 a month, but but you special five right here, you guys right here, we're offering you this wonderful deal. You get to pay twice as much. And I guess it's all in how you present it. Yep. Um, it, it's a bit... Um, it is slightly odd. Uh, that was because... Um, yeah, Mac Jim posted Adobe tests doubling the price of Lightroom and Photoshop plan, and that was on the Verge. Um, Alistair replied, "Apparently, this is a misunderstanding. They are trialing higher storage plans at a higher cost, and the existing plan uh, will stay." Um, according to Adobe Customer Care, sorry for any mis misinformation. We have no plans to change the standard 20 gigabyte photography plan, which is still available at this link. Uh, we are currently testing photography plans with higher levels of storage. Um, however, they seem to have at least slightly hidden the cheaper option. So, um, shall we say, if not actually doubling the price, uh, attempting to encourage you to 
uh, not Pay be more. aware that you can have a cheaper deal. Uh, my answer to that is if you're a hobbyist, you probably should consider looking at Affinity or Luminar or one of the others that are not. Yeah, that we were we were talking about that earlier. We were indeed. We were. That is true. But we were also talking about it before. So <laughs> as we've oh, got about okay. we've got about three hours, three hours no, no, of the show. I'm confused. I, I, I can't remember what I said and when I said it. I, I should go into politics. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Anyway. Um, so that was that story. Um, again, as we've said, uh, you know, other options are available. Um, another another tech story. Uh, a glitch uh, was breaking Firefox extensions. This this was a breaking story yesterday in both sense of the word. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, people that uh, use Firefox couldn't read it. Uh, yeah. Um, apparently, it was due to a some kind of security certificate problem. Uh, basically, Firefox was would load, but if you have a load of Firefox extensions, they would all be disabled. Um, apparently, according as uh, uh, according to Mozilla, as of one a.m. EDT today, that's the fifth of May, um, it's mostly fixed. Uh, some people are still reporting that the pot fix hasn't rolled out to them, um, and some versions of Firefox, such as on Android, uh, may need to be patched separately. So, um, a bit unfortunate for Mozilla, that one. Um, don't know what to say about that, uh, other than how did you let one of your security certificates expire? But it seems to happen quite often, doesn't it? Surprisingly, big, it does. co- big companies um, seem to let their security certificates run out without paying attention. Um, and while we're on web browsers, this one, Guy... Uh, this is how dominant Chrome has become almost everywhere apart from tablets, uh, for which you can read uh, iPad, really. This is a, this yeah. is a Wikipedia link. Um, and no, I wasn't browsing Wikipedia for things. This was a kind of a spin-off from another article I was reading, which wasn't really interesting enough in its right, own right to uh, make the stories for the week. But um, there is a summary uh, on wikipedia here of various browsers uh share of all browsers and they've got three different uh companies who you know try and calculate these things across all browsers uh chrome is between 45 percent and 63.5 percent depending on who you wish to talk to um the companies they're quoting here are stat counter uh, net market share and wikimedia uh, wikimedia being the more conservative figures stack counter and net market share being the higher uh, quantities um interestingly it, it, the in second place is safari with between 15% uh on the two market share companies or 23% according to wikimedia i don't know if this means more apple users using safari go to wikipedia than uh, other people well, does that include all browsers that use WebKit, or is well, that this just is all, Safari all, in particular? Well, no, all browsers. This is saying. I mean, they've got other. Um, they've got other browsers down here. It says uh, in in order they have Chrome, Safari, Firefox. By the way, Firefox only measures about five percent, and that's across pretty much all three. Uh, then we have Opera, IE, Samsung Internet, uh, Edge, hmm. I. AOSP, uh, what's that one? Don't know what that is. And others. Um, interesting, Wikimedia measure others at 12.3%, whilst the other two only measure others at 2 and 4%. Well, I wonder how, I mean, it's got to make 
Microsoft just insane that most people who use Windows OS prefer Chrome over either IE or Edge? Mm. Well, the, the, the one that really uh, shocked me, I'll be honest, is the usage share of desktop browsers, um, where Chrome, uh, measured by net market share, W3 counter and stat counter, whoever these people are, uh, in November 2018, Chrome came out at 65, 63 and 72%, depending on who you talk to. And second place is IE. Why, people? Why? Why is IE in second place still? Um, and that's on between... Because so many people are still on Windows 7. I guess so. It's between 47 and 9.6%. So uh, that means every other browser is basically below 10% on the desktop. Chrome has 64 to 73% of desktop usage. That's shocking. Well, frightening. I don't know about shocking. <laughs> and uh, IE is, st- is in second place. God help us, really. Uh, there you go. Uh, if you want to read all the rest of the figures, follow the link. It's over at uh, wikimedia.com. Uh, Wikipedia. It's on Wikipedia. Sorry, not Wikimedia. They're the people. Uh, that's the wiki counting people. But um, yes, it's <laughs> it was really quite surprising. Um, I mean, I know Chrome is popular, but hot giggity damn. Well, I mean, again, it's. I don't think it's really that big of a surprise. There's a lot of people on you know both the major OSs, Windows and uh, the Mac OS, that have to go between both of those you know, work and home and all the rest of that. So they want, they want an experience that is going to be more uniform across the board. So it, it doesn't really surprise me that, uh, that so many of them are choosing something like Chrome. I'm just surprised at how dominant it is on the desktop. Um, you know, on mobile browsers, uh, Chrome, approximately 50 to 60% Safari. This shows the dominance, uh, of iOS, I think to some extent, 23 Three to thirty percent, depending on which company you measure it by. And um, on tablets, Chrome is at somewhere between twenty and fifty-seven percent, and Safari between thirty-six and seventy, <clears throat> depending again on who you ask. Yeah. Uh, that, of course, being tablets, and um, they are specifying tablets, not mobile. Um, I think that's because the tablet quote unquote market is in fact pretty much. An the iPad, iPad market. market. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Um, there. So if you like to uh, scratch your head over numbers, follow the link, people. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, it's not that uh, people, you know, choose to use a consistent browser if they, you know, if they have to go across various OSs. I mean, that's, I can understand that, but I'm just surprised that Chrome, you know, outweighs. It's so dominant. It's so dominant. I mean, Firefox and and other people don't I bet you know Opera Vivaldi people like that they're not even getting a look in and they're hardly you know an IE is second no God yeah. no people even Microsoft say don't do that anyway well I, again I think I think that's mostly because there's a lot of people who have yet to move over to Windows 10 and if you're still on for whatever reason uh, Windows 7 then chances are you're going to use Internet Explorer. I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I know a lot of quote unquote, you know, enterprises uh, are still on seven. And I do understand um, 
why that is. I know it's easy for us, you know, in small companies or home users to say, why on earth are they still on Windows 7? Right. Well, you have to you have to test all the applications. You have to test all the extensions. You've basically everything that you do as a corporate entity has to be checked against an operating system that you're thinking of moving to. So, you know, the fact that that it takes so long to move a large enterprise from one operating system to another, I mean, it doesn't really surprise me. No. And the other thing is when you when you're talking about massive corporations, of course, they tend to not work on any kind of rolling upgrade as in they won't say, OK, well, um, you know, accounts are going to stay on Windows 7 whilst customer facing, um, you know, parts of the you know departments move to 10 first or whatever. Right. But then see, but then you have to have different people with different skill sets. Exactly. So, you know, I I do, I do understand why you, you get that. I do. Um, And, you know, often these things are, they have, don't they, like a, a gold book, if you like, of this is the exact Windows 7 setup that has been verified by our InfoSec and all the rest. And it shall not be deviated upon. Um, Right. But you would think in, even in really big, uh, corporations that are still on Windows 7, they would have listened to Microsoft who've said, please stop using Windows Internet Explorer. <laughs> please, please stop doing that. Yeah, you don't know. do that anymore. I mean... <laughs> we don't wanna! I mean, yeah. I mean, what was it? it, it even even um, Satya Nadella is, you know, don't use Windows Internet Explorer, it makes me cry. <laughs> there we go. Um, And again... Yeah, Windows 7 is about to expire, isn't it? It's end of life yeah. or end of support. I'm also surprised how Windows 8 never got a look in. I know Windows 8, it's for the original launch was problematic and, you know. Well, it, it's not dissimilar to what happened with, um, what was the one right after XP? Vista. Um, Vista. You know, the same thing kind of happened with Vista. If the, the differences between Windows Vista and Windows 7 isn't really that much. The, the The biggest difference was the hardware finally caught up to what Vista was capable of doing. And because of pressure from computer manufacturers, uh, Microsoft essentially lowered the, um, the, the basic standards for Vista and said, well, you can only run three applications. I mean, they, they put in so many conditions so that computer makers could include Vista with just absolute crap yeah, computers bottom end yeah. machines yeah. and then everyone acted surprised that vista didn't work that well <laughs> what what the hell did you think was going to happen i have to admit that um i i did have a windows vista um laptop and yeah its initial launch was problematic it was buggy and it was slow and the ua uh c was you know all the jokes at the time you know cancel or allow you appear to be opening yeah. a Windows, you know, you appear to be opening yeah. a Word document. Are you sure you want to do that? Cancel or allow? Yeah. Um, you, you seem to be breathing. Cancel or allow? Exactly. But like so many of these things, you know, it, it didn't take long for it to be toned down. They got feedback and yeah. it was like, yeah. Yeah, but by then, by then Vista, the damage Vista was, was damaged. Yeah. Right. And so they tweaked it a little bit and then re-released it as Windows 7. I mean, yeah. that, that's in essence what happened. Uh, Windows 8, I guess maybe you're talking the same thing because Windows 8, the original <coughs> launch, was was not so loved. flawed. 
And and that, yeah, they tried to force the tile interface onto the desktop. And well, there, but there was more to it than that. Um, I don't know if you want to go down this rat hole. Um, you had you had basically two different versions of Windows Eight. You had an ARM version and you had an x86 version. And the the problem was a lot of people were choosing devices that had the ARM version because it was less expensive, not realizing, yeah, not realizing that all those applications that they had wasn't going to run on. Yeah, that was because, a, that was a marketing disaster. That was the yeah. Windows RT or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, and they and the, apparently the powers that be insisted that everything was supposed to look alike, whether it was Windows RT. Windows 8, the Xbox interface, you know, I mean, all the, the the various ways that Microsoft had their hooks in you to do one thing or another related to computing devices, the user interface had to all look alike. Well, when you do that, you confuse the marketplace. Yeah. Because if you have two different devices, one is much cheaper than the other, and they look exactly the same, there's going to be a significant number of people who don't understand that the reason why it's less expensive is that it's less capable. Exactly. And uh, without being too rude, there will no doubt be, have been plenty of people in, you know, uh, places like uh, this is only uh, an example. I'm not actually accusing this company of doing such a thing. Uh, let's say uh, PC world or uh, Best Buy or whatever, who, you know, their main uh, point is making sales. Sell stuff. Make a yeah. sale. And if somebody's wavering on whether or not they're going to buy, you might not be too clear about the difference between this cheaper one and this more expensive one. Exactly. If they go, that's too expensive. Will this other one do everything I want? And you, as a salesman, you're going to think, sale? Yeah. Or as long no as you sale. don't tell me, as long as they don't tell you exactly what it is they want, then you can go, sure. Yeah. I don't know what it is you want, but yeah, you know, you ask me a question, I'm going to say, yeah, why not? Of course, hey. this will be fine. Go um, ahead. It's all fine. Um, Windows um, 8.1, and why the hell they called it 8.1, I don't know. It was 8.5 at the very least, um, was a fine operating system, I'll be honest, because they pulled all the. Um, things that annoyed people, like forcing you to launch into the tile interface and then try to get to the desktop. Uh, you know, you could simply go, launch into the normal desktop first, please. And if I want the stupid tiles, I will fetch them. Um, yeah. And thus the problems were solved. Um, and I used Windows 8.1 um, until Windows 10 came along, to be, fine, to be fair, without, you know, any real issues, despite what a lot of people say. I'm sure, you know, if you're involved in very complicated um software or do horrible things with excel based software <laughs> in access design things sharepoint yeah. i want sharepoint to go to excel and and store a word document that is part of an access database yeah. what what yeah um <laughs> But then I'm pretty sure you could probably use that excuse about anything. You could you could probably say, you know, uh, Mac OS Mojave is horrible if you want to do some weird thing using a FileMaker constructed piece of custom software. So there we go. Ah, uh, there we are. Um, what else have we got? I want to go on, really. Uh, it, actually, I don't think there's anything else really very interesting. 
be honest. Um, <laughs> in, 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 oh. I'm just looking at the rest of these stories, so I think actually we'll, we'll skip over uh, the one thing. Yeah, is, well, we kept we keep going off on tangents. Uh, yes, I know. Um, I know it's a shocker with me with me on a, on a show. Uh, worth a chirp. The essential tip. Uh, I didn't know this one, by the way. This came from um, a guy called uh, Ryan Jones R Jonesy on Twitter. Um, if you double tap the time pickers um, in the uh, in the iOS, like if you're setting a reminder or a calendar event, you notice it's in like five minute intervals, isn't yeah. it? If you double tap it, apparently it will change to one minute. Oh, you know what? I saw this exact same one, <clears throat> and, and I can't. I saw this on Twitter. Yeah, that's that's such a weird bit of serendipity. Yep, I did not know that. There you go. So thank you, uh, Ryan Jones, for that one. Um, right. Uh, by weird coincidence, we're going to do a bit of inside baseballism here. Um, okay. And and that is for some reason over about the last month, three or four people have approached me and said uh if i was thinking about you know starting a podcast what you know how would you suggest i go about it what you know who would you maybe point to as a as a host who would you what software might you suggest um and obviously of the lot of these people are of course well i'm only thinking of trying it so i don't want to spend a lot of money huge amount of money right yeah because you know, why would you? You know, if you're going to take up fishing, uh, and you think I might like to try fishing, you don't go out and buy five of the most expensive carbon fiber rods and, you know, world class reels and all the rest, do you? You go out and buy a, I don't know, a $50 rod and or a starter kit and yeah, give it see a, how you like it. See how you like it. Because if you find sitting by the edge of the river for five hours with your bum going numb to be <laughs> not. <laughs> Not for you. No, you not have, quite your cup of tea. You know, if you find that that's not really exciting as you thought it might be, uh, you can sell the starter kit on and uh, t- try something or just, else. You know, chuck, chuck it in the garage. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Or do what most people do, as you're right, throw it in the back yeah. of the garage and forget about it. Um, yeah. But, uh, quite rightly, so um, I thought we could talk about that. Um, so I, one of the things um, that I've pointed a lot of people to uh, is... Our host is Pinecast. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a, a really, re- I've you know found them to be a really excellent host. They um, they host our obviously our audio. Um, they have a free level, which is uh, acceptable, particularly if you're a beginner. Um, they throw in a website. Uh, it's a fairly simplistic website, and uh, you know you've you've got about six templates to choose from and about five colours. Um, but it it's a website, you know, chucked in for nothing. Um, Something you can point people to. Yes, exactly. If you're a beginner, you know, um, it, and if you want to move up a level, um, I believe they're the level that most people use is $5 a month. Um, that's not bad. That's pretty good. Uh, they Is that, ban- is that bandwidth restricted? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. We've uh, You can have up to three podcasts. That's not three episodes. That's three separate podcasts on your account. Um, you can... Um, you can link to Spotify. They have um, links to several other services. Uh, all the ones that I tend to mention in the show notes, by the way, uh, people like TuneIn and uh, F, what was it, uh, Radio FM or something. Um, and those are all set up with just a few clicks, uh, sometimes a confirmation email from the uh, other service. I think that's a fabulous way to start. And they, they basically will handle it all. 
Yeah. Yeah. I use uh, Podbean here in the oh, States. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard about Podbean. Um, I think. Yeah. And they're fine. You know, I mean, it's honestly, if, you, and, and, and I'm talking here about a paid host. Um, there's, there's lots of free hosts. Uh, I did look at a couple of those, but, you know, I, I, for, I can't even remember what my reasoning was, but I decided not to go with any of them and, and find an inexpensive plan. I think just for simplicity's sake, so that I don't get bugged every single time I try to do something, well, you should go to the upper with other plan, blah, 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 blah. I didn't want to bother with that. So I went with a relatively inexpensive plan with Podbean. Um, but as you know, number one, let's make a simple assumption here that you're listening to the essential Apple podcast that you're talking about doing a podcast on a Mac, you know, let, let's, let's, you know, or an iOS device. Let, let's just yeah. throw that right out there. We're not talking about, I want to do this on uh, CPM and Linux. Well, then why are you listening to this show? Okay. <laughs> Don't listen to this show if you like using CPM and Linux. So, um, if you're if you're podcasting by yourself, there are two microphones that uh, I would recommend. One is they're they're not all that s- dissimilar, uh, but there is qu- quite a difference in price. One is the Samson Q2U, and the other one is the Audio Technica ATR2100 USB. These are both kind of dual purpose microphones. They have both XLR ports and USB ports. And even better, they also have a headphone jack built into them so that you can have uh, monitoring without any latency. Latency being the amount of time it takes from when you say something until you hear it back in your in your headphones. And anything, I think, over like a quarter of a second, you basically started talking like, because you're hearing something at the same time or just after you've said it, yes. you're trying to say something else. And, makes, and your brain it, becomes it, very it, confused. This, because you can't keep yeah it's right yeah. it sounds like you have brain herpes boy that just keeps, <laughs> that's like the gift that just keeps on giving brain herpes <laughs> there's the, there's the title of the show for you indeed so brain herpes so uh, i would recommend either one of those two microphones uh, if you want to step it up a little higher than that behringer actually makes a couple of relatively low cost usb audio interfaces that have probably, especially in their price range, the best preamps that uh, I have ever used before. And that is their UMC series. They have a single XLR input, uh, the UMC 22. And then they have two different, uh, two XLR input devices, the UMC 204, sorry, the 202 and the 204. And then they have a four input one, the UMC 404. Now, the cool thing about these devices is that Everything you plug into them is being output as a mono source. And when you put those into a DAW or however it is that you're going to record, you can have true multi-track audio recording if that's the way you want to go. The downside to devices like this is that if you have kind of a crappy microphone, you can't really do much with the sound as you're recording it. You'd have to go in and post afterwards. So, I mean, I have tried, Simon, you know this, how many different ways have I come up over the years to record podcasts? Uh, so how, 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 how many, many, how many shows you are now? 752. Yeah. And uh, how many, how many of those shows were you in? 500 odd? Is it? Did yeah. You? Yeah. Right. About 500. 
So, uh, right, you've done 500 shows of the uh, My Mac show. Uh, I would say on that uh, basis, you've probably had 500 different ways to record it. That is probably not far from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what I do now, I'm, I'm, I'm using the UMC uh, 404 as my interface into the computer. But then I just recently picked up, it's a, the Yamaha MG10 which it's, it basically has 10 inputs, but it's got four XLR inputs. It's got uh, high, mid, and low range EQ. It's got compression on the first two. And I find that using this allows me to adjust the sound using hardware, which is going to be less taxing on your computer than trying to do it through software. And this thing is like $150, I think was the mixer. The UMC 404, the interfaces, I think the UMC 22 is about 60 US dollars. The 204 and the 202 are like are in the $100 range and the 404 I think is like 130. Um, but when you start looking at things like this, those, those are actually really good prices. And the UMC series from Behringer, sounds like I'm doing a Behringer commercial, <laughs> has what they call Midas preamps and it's based on this company that they purchased some time ago as compared to the xenix preamps that they have like in their mixers which are utter and total crap so that puts you off on this being a barrager commercial yeah don't don't get barrager mixers and use their preamps they're, it's awful but they're the preamps they have in their audio interfaces are fantastic okay um as far as more expensive microphones go as far as microphones in general goes there's, there's, there's in essence, two different types. You have dynamics, di a dynamic microphone, and you have condenser microphones. Uh, dynamic microphones are typically unpowered, but have a much lower output level native to the microphone. Whereas condenser microphones require what's called phantom power to make them work. And they can give you that, you know, a much more rich kind of radio, radio DJ kind of sound. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with condenser microphones, though, is that it picks up everything, everything that is going on in your room. And I know as you as you sit in your man cave or wherever it is that you're using a computer, you think, well, there's, there's, there's no noise here. But you've got fans from your computers. You've got fans from hard drives. You've got uh, actual electrical noise that's being generated in your walls and everything. Yeah, there's more noise going on than you <laughs> oh, may yeah. actually really know about. And a dynamic microphone will filter almost all of those out natively. And there's some actually some pretty decent. Um, well, I, wait, hold on. The, the Q2U, the Samson microphone I mentioned earlier, and the Audio-Technica mic that I mentioned earlier are dynamic microphones. Behringer makes one that for the price, I don't think can be beat. It's the XM8500, which is about 20 US dollars. However, whatever you hook it up to has to have uh, a pretty good preamp because the output from the microphone itself isn't that good. Now, having said all that, in the setup that I have right now that you're hearing me on through you know the magic of, of uh, audio hijack and everything else, uh, this is a Heil PR40, which is a very nice dynamic microphone, but it's also like $350. So if you're just, if you're just starting off in podcasting, I do not recommend that you <laughs> go out that. and get a Heil PR40 no. or the Shure SM7B or so many, like if you, if you start watching videos on YouTube's 
on YouTube's on YouTube about podcasting. You will actually hear some people say, well, the only microphone you should get is a, is a sure SM7B or a high LPR 40, because I saw this other person that talked about how great they are. Well, these are good microphones. However, they're, they're really expensive. And if you're just starting out, you don't really need anything like that. No, you don't. I, I, yeah. Start smaller, work your way up. If well, you want to enhance your sound a little bit more later on, that's great. But I, don't worry about it right at the beginning. Right. When I, when I started, obviously, I, I didn't start running this show. I started either guesting or helping Mark out in the background. So um, I think the first time I, I, I recorded with Mark, I actually used my iPhone. Um, yeah. I, that's also a possibility it's yeah it, it's not great and it's all right as a guest but if you're gonna you know if you're gonna do a regular show i wouldn't recommend that if you do do that get something to hold the iphone get a little tripod you know a desk type or one of those things that you put you know like you put your phone in to stick on yeah. your, you know one of those things that, with a sucker or whatever that goes on the table and you then you don't have to touch the iphone but um after about two shows i got um I got this Logitech microphone that I use. I don't know how much it cost because it was something that was kicking around the house. It was something that either uh, came with a PS3 type game, you know, Sing Along or one of those. Right, or, but it's a USB microphone? Or my wife bought it for the kids for that purpose. It's, yeah. But who makes that again? It's a Logitech. I've Because it's so cheap, I don't, I don't think I can find any serial numbers or anything. It's a simple plug-in USB. Oh, is, does it have like kind of a curvy uh, that you can kind of move around with like kind of a squarish uplifted base? No, no. It's like a handheld sing-along microphone. Just, you know, bog standard wire lollipop type microphone. And it's USB. It's a USB microphone. Oh, I think I, I think I found it. Um, anyway, so I, I doubt that costs more than 20 quid. Because if if my wife bought it for the kids, it won't have done. Um, <laughs> Eleven ninety nine if it's the same one. Okay, well you show me a link. I'll have a look. It, anyway, it was simply better than trying to use my iPhone. So that was what I used. Um, so that was a lot better than using my iPhone. Um, later on, I considered buying another microphone. Uh, Mark sent me um, a Samson Meteor, which is the thing that looks like a nineteen forties microphone. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite a nice microphone, but I found it far too much uh, had far too much gain for my liking. Yeah, that um, was it, probably a condenser. Uh, I I don't know. It's got a, it's got it's it's got a little gain control knob, um, and it does have a um, it does have a you know a headphone socket, so you can listen to yourself that way. Um, I think that's about forty pounds to buy. Um, often recommended. I found with my setup, I also sometimes got weird feedback from it. Um which I never did figure out. So um, I thought I will buy myself a microphone. So I went on Amazon and I looked and I you know, did a bit of research and I, I end up buying um, like the Amazon recommended basic. It might even have been an Amazon basics microphone. And, and it said it was cardoid and it was USB and it was all, all the things that you're supposed to be looking for in a budget, you know, microphone. I think it was about £25, I think. And I have to say, for what I paid for it, it was an absolutely beautiful microphone. It's, you know, quality build, good weight, comes on its own little tripod, absolutely everything. I plugged it in, I set it all up, 
and then I turned on audio hijack and it was picking up my son a room and a half away. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, that'll happen. And, uh, and no matter what I fiddled with in the in the settings, no. It was it was picking up everything. If you bought that microphone to record a school concert or a school play or a meeting in a town hall, I reckon you could dangle it from the proscenium arch and it would pick up everything fantastically. People asking yeah. questions from the back. In, in, in a different town. Yeah, right? So as a microphone for £25, it was fabulous value. Um, for podcasting, it was utterly useless. <laughs> so I gave it to my son who plugged it into his uh, PS4, and then he, in, rather than using a headset or whatever, he has it like you know ac- totally across the room, and he doesn't have to shout or anything. He can just talk, and people... <laughs> <laughs> on the PlayStation, who he's playing games with, can hear him absolutely fine. Um, so I bought this cheap uh, microphone, or I didn't buy it. It was one that was knocking around. So that that was the, the first thing. The second thing I bought, which was probably one of the best investments I've ever made, it cost £10, and it's a mic stand. The cheapest mic stand from Amazon, um, but it means, you, yeah, you don't have to touch the mic, and you don't have to worry about tapping on the table or whatever um but i started basically but no money at all i uh, i started out using piezo which is 20 pounds from um rogue amoeba yeah and uh when we first started we were using skype so i was simply plugging my microphone into my uh macbook launching skype launching piezo setting the source to skype and recording it and then I would take the recording that Piezo makes, which handily uh, separates you onto you know, one channel and uh, everybody else onto the other. So then I, was, I, was, uh, I decided, what, how am I going to edit this? Okay, I need something to edit it. I decided to try Audacity. Now, a lot of people will tell you Audacity is clunky and difficult, and, um, but it's free. I, yeah. however... Maybe it's just the way my mind works. I started using Audacity and I got it like immediately. I tried looking at GarageBand and it was like, I just, uh, no, I don't. There's all this stuff. I don't want all the stuff. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, my initial outlay was a microphone that probably worth about £15 um, and about £20 for Piezo. That is what I started. All right, I wasn't paying for the hosting. You know, Mark was paying for the hosting. Um, originally, we were, um, I don't know where it was being hosted because Carl set it up originally. When it came time to, to change that, uh, Mark and I talked at great length about where we were going to move to. Um, and we chose uh, Pinecast in the end because overall the features they were offering for the $5 a month suited us the best. Um I have to say, we looked at Fireside, we looked at Podbean. I mean, there are plenty of places out there who will host your um, podcast for almost nothing or, yeah. or, or nothing. And and all you really need is somebody who will host it for you and send it to iTunes. That's all you really need, isn't it? You know, all these other things you can do, you can directly send it to Overcast, you can have it sent to Spotify, you can have it sent to Yeah, TuneIn. but you know what the, the, the trick is, is that Overcast and all these other um, other podcatchers are getting a lot of their links also from iTunes. Oh yeah. Then, you know, this is, I'm saying you can, all these other things, if you're beginning, don't get wrapped up in that. Just make sure your host is sending your stuff 
to iTunes because 97.56% of uh, stats are made up on the spot by me. Um, but, right. You know, <laughs> and George Washington. Yeah. But those, you know, a, almost all podcatching services pull their feeds from iTunes. If you send it to iTunes, you're pretty much set. If you want to send it to Spotify, if you want to send it to Stitcher and, and you know, or SoundCloud or other things, fine. That's added bonus. Worry about that later. Um, so that is what I started with. That is literally what I started with. A, a cheap microphone, um, recording with Piezo and editing in Audacity. Um, and that is a, you know, that is a viable starting setup. So <laughs> cost you, that really will cost you nothing. And then, obviously, if you you get a little bit more um, advanced, then uh, you are almost certainly going to want to get audio hijack, aren't you? Yeah. Audio hijack for the win, really. Um, Yeah. Well, And for that matter, well, you know, you can get by by using, um, uh, what is it, audio MIDI setup on the Mac to, to kind of move things around, but it can get... It can get complicated very, very quickly. It but can. Audio Hige- or Rogue Amoeba also has a companion application called Loopback that makes it ridiculously easy to move source audio to different outputs. It does and indeed. The cool thing about Loopback is you can make outputs that go back into inputs. You can right indeed. In Loopback and Audio Hijack. I have a couple. I actually have a couple of um, uh, videos over on YouTube showing you how to use audio hijack and loopback. Loopback is absolutely brilliant. The one, it, the thing with loopback, however, is, and I'm not knocking it for this because it is an absolutely fabulous piece of software. But it's what ninety nine dollars. Yeah, it's not cheap. It's not a cheap. <laughs> it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And if you're like me, I I do have it, and I did in the end, you know, just bite the bullet. But um. If you only need to do an output to two channels. Now, I know you, Guy, you like to record, you know, four or six channels or whatever. (laughs) How many channels are there in the world? Yeah, 16 channels or whatever it is. It it doesn't matter. And um, I did experiment with recording uh, four track, but um, I found it made life, uh, for me, unnecessarily complicated. So I have a simple setup where... I am uh, fed into wire, and so is Farago fed into wire using audio hijack and loopback. And then uh, the output, my microphone and Farago are fed directly to the recorder on one channel using loopback. And the output of wire minus me is output onto the other channel. That gives me a two channel. uh, And it's a virtual mix minus. Which is just brilliant. Yeah, it is. Um, and if that if you're listening to this and thinking that's complicated, it really isn't. Um, if you use audio hijack, and if you only need two channels, realistically, you probably don't even need to do that. Audio hijack. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you links to, to uh, two videos that I made on doing just these kinds of things with with loopback and audio hijack. And you can, if you want to, you can, you can put links to them in the show. Yes, definitely. Um, the other, you know, I've cast around, I've looked at all sorts of other things. I mean, I, um, I now record, um, with sound studio, which is a, another cheap, uh, recorder. I know you can record directly with 
audio hijack, but I found that that occasionally gave me grief. Now, I'm sure that was something I was doing wrong, but rather than try and figure out what I was doing wrong and having made my setup work, I simply record using... I still record using Piezo, by the way, as a backup. Um, Piezo records purely what goes through wire, so um, the output from wire does not have all the, uh, you know, I uh, the dynamics processor, noise gating, and, and so on, which uh, I can feed to my other recorder, but... The piezo recording has got me out of trouble so many times. So many times. So there you go. I highly recommend to anybody that if you start out with piezo and then you start using another one, still record yourself with piezo as well as your audio. Whatever. whatever, Right. And whatever else. Because it's just so worth it. You know, you've already, if you're starting out using Piezo, you've already invested in that. What what the hell, you know? Open that, start it running, then open your audio hijack and start that running. Yeah, it's all Rogue Amoeba. Yeah, you know, obviously in my case, Sound Studio isn't. Um, the other one we were talking about, which because it's something that I looked up, uh, there's an application called Mixpad from uh, NCH Software. Yeah. Um, which says it does 16 channels. There's a sort of free-for-home-use version, although I'm not sure it's still actually free-for-home-use, but that's by the way. That says it does 16 channels, but you're telling me you've experimented with that and it actually only wants to record two, but it can mix 16 in post. Yeah, something like that. I am I get, you know, the part of the problem, because I'm using the, the demo version, so does that mean that the demo version will only record two tracks while the, the full version, if you spend the 50 to $70, whatever it is, will do more? I don't know because it doesn't, I can't find anything on the website that says so. Well, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Because, um, by the way, when you, when you, uh, <laughs> if it's almost impossible to find the link on the website, even though it is there, which says, or download the free for home use version here, which is in tiny, tiny lettering. Um, because there's a there's a version which you can pay for, and there is this free version. Um, and I will put the link to the free version in the show notes if people want to experiment with it. Um, I, I've not really, I've not, I've not tried it. I've not used it. I was thinking of experimenting with it. What I can say is, even though you've probably never heard of NCH uh, software, and they have a lot of good stuff. And the fact that their stuff is not necessarily aesthetically the nicest in the world. Yeah, they, yeah UI, UI is somewhat lacking. Let's just say it's a little bit, um, a little bit heavy handed. Um, they do make a huge range of software, not all audio related, by the way. And I have used some of their other products and it is, no pun intended, sound gear. Ha ha. Ha ha But there we go. So, um, yeah. It's interesting that several people have asked me, you know, how would you go about starting a podcast? And I guess from the outside, it can look very daunting because you hear people, don't you, talking a bit, like you say, you yeah. go on YouTube and there's all that, well, what you need is the Rode, you know, Podcaster 4000. And it's a brilliant microphone. <laughs> it's only $350. And then I've got this Yamaha mixing desk and, 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 it's, yeah. and it's like, wow, man, are you... You know, are you running a professional radio show? Are you, you know, are you? <laughs> well, are, are you running? Does have a new piece of gear that I, I want to try it so bad, but it's like six hundred bucks, and it's the uh, the 
pod. Oh, what do they call it? It's, it's this deck that uh, directly connects up and it's got like, I, I can't even tell you everything that it has. I, I got to, you go ahead and talk. I'm going to find it. <laughs> so um, don't get me wrong. Like any hobby, you know, as you become more absorbed. Roadcaster Pro, that's the name of it. The, the more, you know, the more absorbed you become in your hobby, the, obviously the more things you want to do. Um, for example, as you no doubt have heard, you know, uh, Guy is a big fan of, and uh, I don't use mine very much, but I do have one that allows me to do things like... Oh, no. Yeah. And that um, that is Farago, um, again by Rogue Amoeba. Thank yeah. you, Paul Cafarsis. Thank you, Paul Cafarsis, for the fabulous Rogue Amoeba. What would I... podcasters do without you? I um, talked to him and told him they really need to have a combo piece of software that does all these things together. And it's like, go ahead, charge, charge $200 for it. I'll buy it. Mm. You know, if it does all these things that I wanted to do, I'll buy the damn thing. Yeah. You know, even, even if it doesn't work half the time, Oh, it's great. Yeah. And just be, before, um, I, I do want to say though, just before anybody thinks that rogue amoeba is the only game in town, that is not that's not true uh you know if you want to work there there are um plenty of uh sort of get started with podcasting apps available sure there? um oh, what's the one that comes with a soundboard built in and um oh 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 yeah there's a free oh that's um i'll tell you in just a second i was gonna say i was oh where are you i think it starts with an m there's mixler that's one but that's not the one I'm thinking of. No, it's it, it, it's it's certainly um, there's one on uh, oh something recording studio. It's called I'm sure Spreaker. Spreaker, that's the one. Which is brilliant. Yes. and they have a standalone application that runs on your Mac, and you don't have it's free. You don't have to sign up for anything. Uh, you can have four different inputs. You can have like I think sixteen different sound effects off to the side. Uh, but it does only record in two tracks, uh, one stereo track. Yeah, but you know, as I say, I think for a lot of people, um, it's and, good enough. You know, until you get more advanced or wish um, to to do more, um, spree. There's no e in that, is it? And it's spreaker. Yeah, s p r e a k e r dot com. Oh, it, it is e r. All right, okay. No, it's not. It's not like flicker. No, no, no. It's, it's yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's it. They're not trying to be clever. You know, they're <laughs> like, hey, we spent a lot of money to get Spreaker.com with an e. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, yeah, everything you need to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast. And I'll be honest, actually, I'm pretty sure this launched after I'd kind of um, gotten started, got myself, you know, set up with a workflow that I was happy with. I'm pretty sure if this had been available, I might well have been tempted to go with this. Um, on... Well, um, it is. I mean, this is a paid for service. So I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the pricing plan here. They have a $6 a month plan, which includes uh, 100 hours of audio storage, but you only get 45 minutes per live. And there's a difference per live podcast. That doesn't mean your podcasts are limited to 45 minutes just that when you do it live because they do have it like a chat feature that you can take advantage of uh you're limited to 45 minutes mm -hmm. 
The next one is like $20 a month that gets you 500 hours and you get up to three hours for a live podcast. Um, this is one thing. However, I will tell you that Pinecast, if you pay the five pound a month, uh, they will they will host your audio forever. If, yeah, that's the, that's like that's like a hell of a plan. You know, I was just looking at that. That's I think that's better than uh, Podbean. That that's the main thing. If you have a free version on Pinecast, they will only they won't they will still store all your podcasts. By the way, if you did a hundred podcasts and you're on the free plan, they will still store your audio for you, but only you just won't be able to get to them. No, you will, but only the top, the, only the latest ten are shown. To I will show up, right? Show up to visitors, uh, but they keep them all, so that if you then wish to go to a, you know, the the basic paid plan. Uh, so, for example, if you go, you know, if you go to our Pinecast site rather than our um, uh, EssentialApple.com, you can you can still see basically every every podcast since Mark started. Um, the rampant mumblings they are all there wow um, and you can, I, I think there's i think there might be a few very early ones missing which was not which were from before we changed over to pinecast and so i think some may have been lost before we transferred all the stuff to pinecast but basically every show that we have uh, put onto pinecast uh, is still there so you can go back and listen to Mark doing a five-minute. Uh, this is me thinking about maybe doing a show called The Rampant Mumblings, which will be all of 10 minutes long, <laughs> whilst walking his dogs and shouting at his iPhone. <laughs> Sounds like some of the stuff Carl did back in the day. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that. <laughs> but, yeah, so Pinecast literally have got basically all the audio that we uh, gave them and everything that we've put up since is available. And you can scroll all the way back. Um, fabulous. There you go. But Spreaker, don't get me wrong, um, it's also a fabulous thing because it's all in one. You get your soundboard, you get your recording, you get all of it. Um, and, of course, that's also available on iOS. And we have, of course, to mention, don't we, if you're talking about uh, podcasts on iOS, you have to say, bear right. Yeah. Um, and, of course, lots of people, uh, Carl included, uh, record on the Mac and then do all their editing. Then, yeah, then they move it over there, which I think is weird. Well, Carl edits all his shows because he says i record on the mac then i take the audio into ferrite because i can lie on the couch and do the editing on my ipad pro with my pencil <laughs> well why not i mean you know, yeah. if it works for him um there you go well yeah, there, there, there really is no right or wrong way well actually let me take that back there are lots of wrong ways <laughs> lots of wrong ways wrong yeah. way number one run out spend bucketfuls of money <laughs> and and then, not know how to hook everything up. And then try and figure out what to do with it. No. Uh, right. Like most things, I suggest, you know, that by, so buying a Lamborghini and trying to become a racing driver is not the best way to go about it. Probably not. No. You know, start at the small end and work your way up. Um, well, I think we've done quite enough, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I think we have really done some damage here. <laughs> Oh my God, this is going to be, talk about editing. Did you see all the links that I put in, didn't you? <laughs> Beringer, yeah. Loopback, Guy Searle, ooh, loads and loads. Where, where was this, um, let me just have a look at this, uh, Logitech USB microphone. It's very similar to that, yes. Yeah, and it was like 12 bucks. Yep, that that is very, uh, I suspect that's probably, that's probably a slightly newer version. That, that's not what you're using now, right? That is what I'm using now. That is what you're using now, okay. I despite um you know experimenting with a couple of other microphones um i've always returned to this microphone because it might be you know the cheapest microphone in the history of the universe no it really isn't. there are some really really 
cheap cheap ones. microphones out there. Yeah, and probably you know, but the trouble is, like like my other one, they'll probably pick up the birds in the garden. Um, right. One of the best things about this, and why I return to this microphone every time, is it actually has um, a very short pickup distance, which for a lot of people would say that's a terribly bad thing. But for podcasting, no, it, right? it's it's a it's a it's a it's got to be a dynamic microphone. Uh, well, whatever. If I if I um, obviously here I'm talking, the microphone is you know three four inches from my face. If I go over here and talk, the sound will drop off considerably. Yeah. Um, but not so drastically as some of those ones that you get where if you do not speak directly into them, they drop off almost too inaudible. Do you know the ones I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you can get, you know, some people have these microphones, which if you do not literally speak directly into them, you can't hear them. I think Mark's got one because sometimes he moves his head and his volume drops to almost nothing. Um, but this one is, is sensitive enough to pick me up at sort of four inches and I don't, but I don't have to have it directly in front of me. It's slightly off to the side. So, you know, that also helps reduce the sibilances and pops. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Indeed. Right. Well, after all that shenanigans, I think it's time we wrapped it up, Guy, and then I'm going to have to edit like a loon. You're going to have to edit the out of this show. I am indeed going to have to edit this. <laughs> right. Um, so, Guy, tell everybody where you can be found. I'll just go and make a cup of tea. Well, I can be found nearly every week on the MyMac.com podcast that I do with uh, Mr. Gazmaz. Uh, I also do on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the United States a Facebook live cast called Mac to the Future Go. And on a less frequent basis lately, <laughs> I record uh, like a 15 to 20 minute podcast in my car while I'm driving, which is probably a really stupid idea called Guy's Daily Drive. Which really should be renamed. Yeah, because <laughs> it's not really daily. <laughs> Guy's and, Occasional Drive. But I am driving. I am driving when I make them. Yes. Yeah. Well, I suppose it is your daily drive. You just don't record it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> there we go. Uh, right. Well, thank you. I am, of course, on the Twitter as at Theranac. Oh, did you do your Twitters? Oh, I forgot. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, my Twitter handles. Uh, there's Mac Parrot, <laughs> which, I've had, which I've had forever. And uh, Vert shark v-e-r-t-s-h-a-r-k it would take too long to explain why that's vert shark um let's see what else uh, i have a skype telephone number that you can call and, and leave comments on that's 703-436-9501 and an email address which is guy at mymac.com jolly good right i am on the twitters as at serenak and that's s-e-r-e-n-a-k the show is at Essential Apple. All our stuff is, of course, over at EssentialApple.com. Or if you really want to, you can go and find uh, just the shows, by the way, on Pinecast. And uh, I think that's probably about it. Thank you to all our supporters, Patreon and otherwise. Thank you to everybody in the Slack room who contributes stories. And uh, probably this week. <laughs> Going, what the hell happened to all the stuff we put in the showroom? And uh, <laughs> now all we've got is Guy and uh, Simon talking like <laughs> gobbledygook for hours. But never mind. Thank you all, nevertheless. And I think with that, we should say goodbye.
This is where you say goodbye. Oh, sorry. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) End of transmission. Evacuate. Evacuate. All crew, please proceed to the escape wing for evacuation. This is not a drill. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club podcast, the geekiest show ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I forgot. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hi, I'm Bart Bouchotts, host of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. Every month I gather together a panel of Apple followers and we digest the month's Apple news. Our aim is to step back and take a 40,000 foot view of all things Apple. We're the perfect complement to the many great daily news shows out there. Listen and subscribe at www.lets-talk.ie.